Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes, so each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. If you're a regular podcast listener, you know that I travel to New York City every month for work. The thing I look forward to most when I get home is getting to sleep in my own bed. Honestly, though, is there anything better? I look forward to it even more now that I have sheets from American Blossom Linens. Their sheets are sustainable, ethical, and made in America with 100% American organic cotton. I love the sheets because they're woven to last a lifetime and get softer with every wash. This kind of luxury sounds expensive, right? Well, without the use of middlemen, American Blossom Linens passes their savings directly to you. Plus, they ship for free anywhere in the U.S., and as a female business owner myself, I love supporting female-founded brands. Go to AmericanBlossomLinens.com and use code REFIND20 for 20% off your order. That's code REFIND20 for 20% off your order when you go to AmericanBlossomLinens.com. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. Now, you've heard me talking about Patreon pretty much on every single episode, and it's because it is my favorite little corner of the internet where I get to really build community with you guys. And last month, I started a book club, which we had our first meeting a few weeks ago. We went over the book by Beth Allison Barr, The Making of Biblical Womanhood, and it was freaking awesome. And then for June and July, we are going over Pete N's book, The Bible Tells Me So. So if you grew up in any sort of Christian tradition that taught you that the earth was created in a literal seven days, you have to take the Bible extremely literally. And now maybe you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and that isn't really working for you anymore. Maybe you're starting to see some inconsistencies or problems. Well, thank you, God, for Pete Enns, who has definitely helped me really look at scripture from a different lens. So please join Patreon if you would like to join that conversation. And then we're also doing free monthly coaching calls via Zoom for Patreon members. So go to patreon.com slash the refined collective to learn more and sign up for that. 
and on to today's episode. Today we have a repeat guest. And if you know anything about what we've been doing in 2022, I've been doing a lot of repeat guests because there are some baller people we have had on the podcast. Today's guest is Sheila Gregoire. If you don't remember her from last year, she is the host of the Bear Marriage Podcast, an award-winning author of nine books, and a sought-after speaker who loves encouraging couples to go beyond those cliche Christian answers to find real-life solutions. Now, if you want to go check out the last episode we had her on, it was episode 180, Church and Sex, How Did We Get It So Wrong? You can find the link in the show notes. And... Oh, I'm just so excited. Welcome, Sheila, back to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you again. Yeah, this is going to be fun. And I wish I could have done that Beth Allison Barr study with you. I love oh that gosh. book. Isn't it so good? And I've read Pete N's book too. It was it was life-changing. So oh everybody, you need to go. She's serious. Like this is this is honestly a good book. So so take oh. my word for it too. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, I read Beth, Beth Allison Barr's book last year. And I keep telling people there was my life before this book and my life after this book. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm excited to dive into Pete's book as well, because I was a Bible major in college. I've read my Bible every day for 20 years. And then I kind of woke up one day in 2021 and was going through this Bible in a year plan and was like, I can't do this. Reading the Old Testament was so triggering for me. It honestly mm -hmm. felt like it was detrimental to my faith at the time. So mm -hmm. I took a really big break from reading the Bible. And I'm at the point now where I'm like, okay, how do I like dive back into this? What does it look like to view this from a different lens? So that, mm -hmm. that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Um, Sheila, we left last episode on quite the cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like this always happens in my episodes. We'll be three minutes before you have to go or a guest has to go. And then you drop the bomb. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, can we talk for three more hours about this? So I asked you a question at the end of our convo. You wrote an incredible book. Again, another one of those books for me that was Life Before and Life After called The Great Sex Rescue. You did this. Was it a 20,000 person survey? Yes. Yeah. Yep. 20,000 okay. predominantly Christian women. And we were just looking at, are there certain teachings that are really prevalent in Christianity, especially evangelicalism, that have totally wrecked sex and marriage for women? And the answer to that question is an overwhelming yes. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at the end of this conversation with you last time, I on, honestly on the fly, it wasn't prepared or anything. I asked you, after all this research that you've done, have your thoughts on premarital sex changed? And I honestly was like, Sheila's, you know, talks to evangelicals. I know the answer to her question is going to be like, no, absolutely not. Like premarital sex is the best thing or saving sex until marriage is the best thing ever. <laughs> and your response kind of shocked me. Do you remember what you said? Um, my whole motto <laughs> with oh. all the research we do is what Jesus said about how you can judge things by their fruit mm -hmm. and we need to look at the fruit of certain teachings mm. um and what the fruit of the purity culture abstinence message has shown is that the way that we are living that out hurts mm. and 
it's not healthy. And so we need to figure out what healthy is. I'm not sure that I have a complete answer on that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm still trying to wade my way through it. Yeah. Uh, but I know that, that if we believe in God, which I do, and if we think God wants the best for us, which I do, and if we think that God created us for flourishing, which I do, <laughs> then when we do things according to what he wants, we sh- life should go better for us. Mm-hmm. And yet somehow it seems like life isn't going better for a lot of those who are saving sex or marriage. Would you agree? Yeah. Now that doesn't mean that it's necessarily going great if you don't save sex for marriage. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of it is the messaging around it. I think the lot, mm. a lot of it is the why we're doing it. And I think, mm. I think we're miss. I think one of the biggest issues is that we're seeing the whole thing as a sin issue instead of a protective issue. Mm. And God's heart for us is for flourishing and protection. Um, and yes, he wants holiness most definitely, but, but, you know, the word for righteousness and the word for justice are actually the same word. Hmm. We translate them as two separate words, depending on the context, but they're actually the same word. Wow. I didn't know. Um, and so every time, you know, you read righteousness in, in the old Testament, especially what you're really reading is also justice, (laughs) So, you know, we need to associate like the holiness of God with justice and and right relationship as well. So it's not like, like, I think there's been so much of an emphasis in the church on being this pure, sinless life, which isn't necessarily healthy for others. Mm. Like you spend your life judging everybody. Um, you don't help anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know? you live this very, you can live this very isolated life and be all proud of yourself. Um, but is that really what God intended? Yeah. Yeah. I think something that I've been processing through is, well, obviously the why, you know, there are verses in scripture that, I would, for me, how I kind of approach it, as I say, it would seem that the invitation in scripture is to experience sex within marriage. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of zoom out and think, man, why was that there? Why was that? Why was that the invitation? And why was that culturally relevant at the time? And I go to it being first century Greco-Roman culture where women were viewed as objects, where women were required to be pure in a way that men weren't, which honestly isn't that much different today. Mm -hmm. But the consequences were much different. If a woman was, think of the woman caught in adultery, the man wasn't brought to be stoned to death only the woman. So if a woman was having sex outside of marriage, it could mean death to her. It could mean enslavement. It could mean being completely cast out of culture, society, family. It could even mean a loss to the family business because no one may want to marry her because marriage was often loveless in a contract. And so what does that mean for today when those consequences aren't consequences like that aren't there because when we're talking about justice like what you're saying man to in that context of greco-roman culture to abstain from sex was a life or death situation um 
Yeah. What yeah. do you think about that? Yeah. I would even take it another step further. Cause I think, I think that, that one of, um, like God understands stuff about how our emotions work that mm-hmm. we just don't get. Mm-hmm. Right. And when children grow up in um, a community where they are valued, where they are stable, where they are loved, there's a flourishing, not just of those children, but of that whole community. Mm-hmm. You know, when kids grow up with secure attachment, right? Yeah. Instead of anxious attachment or avoidant attachment or all the things that we're learning about now, they just, and God knew about all that back then, mm-hmm. even though, <laughs> you know, and, and so what you want is for kids to grow up in a stable relationship because stable relationships also lead to stable communities. Mm-hmm. But you also want women to be protected. Mm-hmm. And the only and because women can get pregnant, the only way to keep them protected is to make sure that sex only happens in marriage. And marriage is not just an exclusive um, sexual union, but it's a lifetime exclusive sexual union. And that lifetime thing is important too, because otherwise, once the kids don't need the mom anymore, the mom could be discarded. Mm. And so elevating this marriage relationship, really is something which protects women. And I think if we can just see God's heart for that, that God cares about healthy children and healthy emotions and healthy relationships, and God cares about women, you know, Mm. being in a safe place. And so what does that look like if we're going to translate that into today's culture? Because God's concern for us is still the same. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. He wants, he wants women and men too. It's just that women were more at risk back then, mm-hmm. you know, to be in a safe, protected place and he, where we can flourish. And he wants kids to be in a place where they can flourish. And so what does that mean for how we handle our bodies? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think, I think that, um, and I think that's one of the big reasons why I still think that the marriage relationship is key and is important. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure that we understand what marriage meant back then compared to today. Right. Um, and there could be a question of when are you actually married? Like that's a, that's a question. Mm. I don't have a good answer for that. I would have to go into the Hebrew and everything, but um, you know, marriage wasn't necessarily the same as it is, as it is today. Yeah. Uh I'm a big, I'm a big genealogy person. I love tracing my family tree. Um, and I was doing some research of my ancestors on the Isle of Wight in England. Uh, and there, they, there was one time where they got married one weekend and the next weekend they baptized three of their kids, mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. of whom was six. Um, and it's like, so they were officially married then, but they had been living together for so long and they didn't belong to the Church of England. They belonged to like the Methodist Church or something. And the preacher only came through, you know, <laughs> every so often. So is it that they weren't married and they had three kids before they were married? Or is it that they were married, they just solemnized it? And you could, you know, you could make a case for both. And so I just think a lot of these questions are trickier than, than we right, right. than we sometimes think. I, exactly. And I even think about dating. Dating today, there's just nothing in scripture that even comes close to it, except for maybe Solomon with all his concubines. And that's kind of how online dating can be um, <laughs> at times. But I I think the question, it's not that I don't care about the question anymore of 
you know, premarital sex or not, or physical boundaries. I think all of that is so important. But what I often find when people are asking me, like, well, what are your boundaries in dating cat? Or what are you willing to do or not do? I either find that people are trying to figure out if I'm credible, <laughs> mm-hmm. if I'm fitting within the box of what they think is right or wrong, or they're looking for a rubric instead of doing their own work of seeking God, seeking wholeness, checking in with their bodies. They're wanting to know what I do then. So, well, Kat said this, so then I can do this. And I can't do that because that pastor said that. When I'm like, if we are looking to the scriptures, basically anything we're doing outside of marriage would have been completely scandalous and provocative. And any of that, um, any of it would have been... um, a big problem culturally in first century, whether it's, I mean, I don't know a person who loves God and is single and dating who doesn't have sleepovers with their significant other, who isn't doing touching and kissing or naked cuddling, or they might not be quote unquote having penetrative sex. Some of them are, some of them aren't, but I'm thinking, man, I feel like we're really approaching this with like a tit for tat. Well, like, he can touch my butt, but I can't touch his penis, but he can touch me this way. And, but if we're two months in, we can do this. But if it's one weekend, we can't do this. And I feel that we are, we're, we've just lost the heart behind all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I do think that the heart really is, you know, to keep us protected and to learn how to treat other people with dignity and treat ourselves mm-hmm. with dignity as well. Yeah. Um, And that does mean, you know, not like to me, I think that means um, before you're married, really concentrating on that emotional connection, because that's what's going to keep you together when you're married anyway. And there's so much evidence that, um, you know, when you combine the orgasm hormones and all of those things, you Mm -hmm. can actually feel more connected than you really are. And so as much as we can do to keep our relationships healthy and making sure that we're not ignoring red flags, um, and often those things I think are easier to do when sex isn't necessarily a part of the picture. Um, and I think that's, that's important. I think too, when we start saying, oh, we can throw out the idea of abstinence. We don't need abstinence at all. Mm. It's one thing to say that when you're talking to 28 year olds, I still think, I still think that the research does show that, that having one sexual partner for life is, is the best. And it does, there is a lot of evidence for that. doesn't necessarily mean that every time you do that though, that it turns out great. In fact, there's some evidence that it doesn't. Um, so, so I'd still think there's some evidence for that, but there's a big difference in saying something like that to a 28 year old and saying that to someone who's 15. Right. And the pro I think one of the problems is that we've tried to talk about this in the same way to someone who's 15 and someone who's 28 or 36, like I am or forties, fifties, you know? Right. And you know, as soon as the 15 year old hears, well, it's okay to have sex as long as I know I'm going to marry them. Well, I know I'm going to marry them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and we know how stupid 15 year olds can be. (laughs) And 28-year-olds. <laughs> yes, but 15-year-olds especially when you look yeah, at yeah. that on, 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 you know, condom use and, and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, so it, it, it's just a really tricky conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that we did find, I think I mentioned this last time. I can't remember if I did or not. Um, 
that people who save sex for the wedding night, if you've only ever had sex with each other, so you only have one sexual partner um, and there's no abuse in your past, so we controlled for abuse. If you save sex for the wedding night, your chance of experiencing vaginismus or primary sexual pain increases by 25%. Mm, wow. Um, now, is that an indictment of waiting to marriage? Not necessarily. I think it's a huge indictment of how we do the wedding night, though. And of how, and, and even of how we see sex, because we see sex only as intercourse. Mm-hmm. And so it's like this thing that you have to, exp- this thing that you have to achieve, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to understanding the entire sexual response cycle um, and not hurrying things along, which is what couples so often do. And I think that's where things go really wrong. Yeah. I would love for you to uh, unpack a little bit or uh, unpack a lot the idea of the sexual response cycle. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it there. I have more that I want to say, but I'm just going to leave it there. <laughs> okay. Well, basically, all right. If our bodies are going to get to orgasm, they got to go through several different stages. Mm-hmm. Like biologically, physiologically, this is just how your body works. You can't get to orgasm without going through these stages. And so we start with excitement which is, you know, your body's beginning to warm up, your heart rate starting to increase, you're feeling tingly, um, you know, you, you're enjoying maybe kissing, touching, whatever. Then you get to arousal, which is when she feels, you know, she's starting to get lubricated. Um, she might feel like her erogenous zones are wanting some attention, um, that kind of thing. Then you get to plateau when you're almost at orgasm and then you reach orgasm. Mm-hmm. The problem is that for guys, excitement and arousal and plateau look almost all the same. And for women, they're actually quite distinct phases. And when we talk about how women get turned on and we give a paint by numbers approach to Mm -hmm. sexual pleasure, um, you know, she needs her clitoris stimulated or she needs this. And we go straight for the clitoris when she's not at the arousal stage yet, maybe even when she's barely at the excitement stage, it feels like a pap smear. Mm. (laughs) Like it's just extremely (laughs) invasive. Oh my God. What are you doing? That's, can I just say that what is so funny about you saying that is I have literally told friends at times, like, I feel like he's just trying to play doctor down there. (laughs) 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 And that was probably because I was not excited or aroused at all at that point. Yeah. Which was because I thought it was all a sin. (laughs) So that killed the libido. Yeah. So like, so, so we need to understand this and I don't think we talk about it enough. And then there's the other element of the sexual response cycle, which, which is varies dependent on the person, which some people call libido, some people call desire, um, which is when you actually want to have sex. Like this is when your mind is going, Hey, you know what, this would be a fun thing to do. And for a lot of people, especially a lot of men that desire precedes excitement so they think, hey, I would like to have sex. They get excited, they get aroused, et cetera. Mm. For other people, that desire or libido kicks in between excitement and arousal. So it's like their bodies start to wake up and then they think, hey, you know what? I would really like to have sex. That's kind of the difference between what, what um, Emily Nagoski called a spontaneous libido versus a responsive libido. Mm. So spontaneous are like the desire hits first. And that's most men, but not all men. 
and some women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then there's your responsive libido where desire kicks in between excitement and arousal. And a lot of people um, think that if she has or he has a responsive libido that they just don't want sex when Mm -hmm. really they just need something to respond to. And so what would that look like? Um, like often, you know, like kissing, touching the inside of your arm, nuzzling your neck, um, cuddling for a while, you know, that, that kind of thing wakes you up and gets you out of the headspace of, I got to do the dishes. What's on my to-do list mm-hmm. for tomorrow? <laughs> you know, yeah, all but the then things that are often going it, through our heads. Isn't it also difficult in that? Because I think a lot of women would think, oh, he's touching my arm that way. He's just doing this because he eventually wants sex later. Yes. Yes, So how do you, and I know Esther Perel talks about the mating in captivity, you know, how do you create this eroticism in long-term monogamous relationships? And I think that's like one of the rubs is the kiss and the touch is exciting in dating or exciting in that new stage because you don't know if you're going to have that kiss or touch again, but you're in a long-term committed relationship and you're like, oh, he's rubbing my neck. I know eventually this is what that's going to mean. So how can you have those touches and those arousals, those things that maybe, well, I'm not in the mood right now, but like I can get there without it feeling manipulative? You you have to have a basis of respect in your relationship. Mm. And that respect has to mean that you can say no and that mm-hmm. there aren't negative repercussions to that. Yeah. And uh, um, often we get into this kind of a dance where, and I'm going to assume he's the higher libido, so I'll use that pronoun, but it could be the opposite, okay? Mm-hmm. But where he wants sex, whatever it might be. And so he's pursuing and she's like, you only want me for one thing. So she, she withdraws, which makes him insecure thinking she doesn't want it at all. So he pursues even more, which makes her think he only wants one thing. So she withdraws even more Mm -hmm. and, and it, it just becomes this, this vicious cycle. And that's where you've just got to talk, you know, and you've got to say, look, (laughs) I love you. And I love enjoying things with you, but I don't want to feel like you're always pawing at me or this is the only thing that you want. Mm -hmm. And so I need to be reassured that we're connecting in other ways as well, that you're hearing my heart, that you're, um, that you're caring about what's going on in my mind. And if I don't feel that I'm not going to feel safe to want to respond sexually at all. Um, and this is something that, I mean, even, even most married couples have to navigate is how do we make sure that sex is something which is flowing out of, um, a deep desire for connection. And it's kind of like the culmination of our relationship rather than an obligation or a duty, which can totally kill desire. I'm in my mid thirties, single and want to have kids one day. If you're in my Patreon community and watched my video about my fertility journey, you know that I recently tested my fertility levels because I want to be proactive now to know what my options can be in the future. Because you don't show up to a marathon race without having been diligent in your training, right? So if you're a woman and think you might be interested in having kids one day, it's time today to take ownership over your fertility so you can know all of your options. Modern Fertility makes it easy and affordable to test your fertility hormones, 
right at home with a simple finger prick. You mail it in with a prepaid label and get your personalized results within 10 days. You'll get insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, aka how many eggs you have compared to other women your age, and other important fertility factors. You can also talk one-on-one with a fertility nurse to review your results and your options for next steps. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. That means your test will cost $139 instead of the hundreds and even thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. So get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash refined. Again, that's modernfertility.com slash refined. No one knows what you're looking for in a doctor better than you. And no one's better at giving you the tools to find the perfect doctor than ZocDoc. The people who created ZocDoc identified the problems with healthcare and said, enough. And now booking a great doctor is surprisingly pain-free. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. On their site, you can choose a time slot and whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit. And just like that, you're booked with someone in your network who gets you. I use ZocDoc because it has taken the stress out of my doctor visits. Go to ZocDoc.com slash cat and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your research for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash cat, K-A-T, ZocDoc.com slash cat. I, I think it's also important to talk about when a person says no, the person who is then rejected, it's not... It doesn't have to be this like personal rejection to them. Like, I don't want you. I don't desire you. And I'm, I'm just thinking that because recently I was dating a guy and we went on a date. We were, he was dropping me off and we were kissing in, in his car. And I wanted to like stay there and make out with him for a long time. (laughs) I looked cute. And he was like, listen, I am so tired. I have an early morning. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say goodnight. And he was like, are you disappointed? And I was like, yeah, I'm disappointed. <laughs> and I, he was like, oh, I'm sorry. And I was like, it's okay. And it was this awkward goodbye. And I walked back into my house and I felt so rejected. And then I was like, now, wait a second. He's allowed to say no. Mm-hmm. And his no towards me does not mean he doesn't want me. It might mean that, but you know, we're just dating, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't want me. In fact, that probably took a lot of courage to say, you know what? I have an early morning. This is fun. I would like to do this, but I I got to go to bed because I think we we do focus a lot on the person to uh, teaching a person that they can say no, but then also I feel like I had this experience recently where I it, I felt like it would have been so easy for me to go into this like rejection spiral of, oh gosh, they don't want me. And is he even attracted to me? Mm -hmm. Can you speak into that at all? Yeah. You know, we, if we're, if we want a relationship where we are going to be respected, it's absolutely imperative that we respect the other person too, Mm -hmm. which means we need to give everybody the room to have their own feelings. 
Mm. And, you know, if you're, if you're feeling like, um, when they talk about their own needs, that that's a rejection of you, then that's probably a sign that, that, you know, you need to do some own work. And I'm not, I'm not trying to criticize you or anything. Cause oh, you no, see, I, do. I get, I get anxious. <laughs> but, um, and, and a lot of that too, that may be a sign that the work that you have to do is just maybe growing more yourself. Like, mm-hmm. why is it that I feel so anxious? Why is it that I need other people to show me that they're not going to leave, mm-hmm. you know, or to, or to make some sort of a move, um, to prove to me that I'm loved or I'm wanted. Like why, why am I constantly seeking that affirmation? Um, you know, and I, I love, there's a great book on that. Um, how we love by, uh, Mylan and Kay Yurkovich about our, our different, how our different attachment patterns can yeah. affect our relationships. It's really brilliant. <laughs> and when you just understand the motivation, it's like, Oh, okay. I can have compassion on myself then. Yeah. <laughs> like I understand why I'm doing this. But I also don't want to be stuck there. So right. let's figure out how to move ahead. Um, but I would also say, you know, there, there, there's there are a lot of people and women especially, but it's again, it's not always women um, who feel like if my partner, my dating partner, whoever it is that I'm seeing needs something or wants something sexually from me, I need to give it to them in order to prove that I love them. I'm sticking around, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's really important that you honor yourself too. Like if you have boundaries, it's okay to have those boundaries. Mm -hmm. And if you're with someone who doesn't respect your boundaries, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. So just as, just as we need to give other people grace, they also need to be giving us grace. And, and it is a red flag if people do not respect your boundaries or try to push past them. You know, I think often we talk about, um, how in, in the dating period, you want to make sure that you're sexually compatible. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you need. I don't think people necessarily realize that once you're married, <laughs> there's going to be long periods where you're not having sex. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and one of, one of the things you really want is to know this person has self-control. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause you can get like a third degree tear after childbirth or a fourth degree tear. And that six week thing, you're going to blow right past that, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, or he could be in the military and he's deployed or she's deployed or, um, there's all kinds of things, you know, work trips. There could be a family member who's sick and you're away for two months. Like you need, you, need, you also need to know they have self-control. That's really darn important. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Or there could be depression or impotence mm-hmm. or, or any number of things, um, which even, even just kind of approaching that, I know you talk a lot about redefining sex and you kind of like tapped on it a little bit earlier, um, in regards to like having sex for the first time. Um, but what are your thoughts about redefining what sex is? Now, I think we, we, we tend to think of sex as intercourse and -hmm. everything else isn't really sex. Mm -hmm. Um, the problem with that definition is it is a very male centric definition. Mm -hmm. Because if that's our only definition, you know, he could, he, it's just about him doing something to you until he climaxes Mm -hmm. and she could be lying there, you know, making a grocery list in her head. She could be feeling empty and used. She could even be feeling pressured or in physical pain. And that would still count as having sex. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if we're again, going to think about a God 
of righteousness and justice who wants us to have dignity. (laughs) He doesn't want his daughters used Mm -hmm. and he cares about his daughters. And so he does want us, want us protected and flourishing. And so that means a relationship where it's mutual, intimate, and pleasurable for both. Yeah. And when you read through scripture and the Bible talks about what sex should be, now there's a lot of sex in scripture, which is not like this, which is quite awful. <laughs> but when it talks about what sex should be, you get a picture of something which is mutual and intimate and pleasurable for both. It's that that intimate knowing where you can be totally vulnerable with each other. Um, you feel like it's this deep connection And that vulnerability is really based on trust. And so you need to be able to completely trust that person. You need to be able to be completely open with that person. Um, And that's where I think the need for commitment comes in. Mm. Um, But it's this intimacy. It's this mutuality where she matters to and where she wants it to. And it's something which is pleasurable for both, which means that her pleasure matters. And the problem with seeing it as just intercourse is that we got a huge orgasm gap. Right. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about that. (laughs) Okay. So we were, we were looking primarily at evangelicals, but there's other research on the orgasm gap, which shows something pretty similar, which is like 95% of guys almost always or always reach orgasm in a sexual encounter. And the equivalent number for women that we found was 48%. (laughs) And I've seen slightly higher numbers in other, in other studies. So just depends the population that you're studying, but there's, but whatever population you're studying, there's always a huge gap. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's like getting a 95 on a test and then a 50. Yeah. You get a 50, yeah. it's like, you're not even close to passing. Exactly. And so we have this huge gap. And what we found is that women who do reach orgasm, um, they rarely do it through intercourse alone. Most require a lot of foreplay and most women find other routes to orgasm much more reliable doesn't mean you can't reach orgasm through intercourse. <laughs> um, but again, there's other routes that are more reliable. And so when we think of, of sex as only intercourse, the only thing that is telling us is, is he having an orgasm? Mm-hmm. It's not telling us whether she is. It's not telling us whether they felt intimate or close. It's not telling us, you know, whether there was coercion in any way. It's only telling us whether or not he had an right. orgasm. And so I just want us to step back from that definition and say, how can we make sure that we're honoring, dignifying, (laughs) you know, treating each other um, as whole people made in the image of God, even in the sexual relationship, because that's what we should be doing. Right. And even when you're saying that, I'm thinking about back to the, you know, purity culture message, abstinence only, and saving penetrative sex until marriage. And I think what happens when we only view sex as this one act, well, a lot of people either are like, or I have, I have honestly have friends who are holding hands until marriage, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like maybe a make out here and there after they're engaged or something. And then I have other, I have a whole spectrum of friends who are not like that. But I think what happens when nothing is on the table and then in in a day when everything becomes on the table. I think often what can happen with this idea that sex is only a penis and vagina, PIV sex, is that then that's all that's focused on. 
there's no sort of self-exploration, mutual exploration. And then you're like, oh, well, 10 minutes of, and that that's it. <laughs> As opposed to, wow, what is it to awaken the body? And what is it to ex- have these other experiences and hold them just as high as this one act. And in in that regards as well, I think of, man, what is it in dating to move forward in an integrated way? So what is it to, okay, yeah, let's say maybe you're saving PIV sex for marriage, but like not going from zero to 60 because in every other aspect of your relationship, you've been moving forward in a progression Yet oftentimes physical, the physical is so behind. It's either the physical is way behind or the physical is like way too premature. And Mm -hmm. so a question that I've been asking myself is how do you move forward in dating in a way that is integrated? So what does that mean for me as far as, okay, as a Christian for a long time, I wasn't getting naked physically on the first dates, but I was getting naked emotionally, Mm-hmm. spiritually. And then that did flip-flop for me for a while where I was getting naked on first dates or very early on. And I'm like, what does it look like to move forward in an integrated way to set myself up for success in like the holistic relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, because it just seems like when, to your point, when you're just looking at sex in this one way, then by the time you're having sex, it typically is revolving around male pleasure. And women are often, or we're often taught masturbation is a sin. So women don't even know how to make themselves come or, well, how can I please you? I don't know. Cause I don't know what feels good. Cause I've been taught that sex revolves around this one act. And if if I don't feel orgasm in that one act, is there something wrong with me? So how do we move forward in a more integrated way? What do you think about that? Yeah. You know, one of the, um, uh, one of the problems that I've heard from a lot of women in the way that sex is often talked about and the way sexual attraction is often talked about in Christianity is that like attraction is a bad thing. What you really need to know is that, you know, you're spiritually compatible. Mm. Because attraction's going to fade anyway, or attraction can grow from something else. And so you don't need attraction. And I think a lot of couples have gotten married to someone they're not attracted to. Yeah. Because they've never let themselves ask that question. <laughs> like, you know, does he turn me on? Right, right. And living your life, like having sex with someone who you're not attracted to is really difficult. And yes, attraction fades to a certain extent in the, in the sense that you don't get those butterflies all the time. Um, but it, 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 if it was never there in the first place, yeah. that's not a nice feeling. And I, I think so many um, women have been taught to turn off. Mm-hmm. The idea of attraction that that to date someone they're not attracted to actually seems holier mm-hmm. and safer. Yeah, yeah. And I think as women, especially, we need to give ourselves permission to say, "No, you know what? I I like this guy as a friend. I really do." Mm-hmm. But. I just don't want him to touch me. And so that's probably a sign that this isn't the relationship for me. Um, And I think that's, that's, that seems really basic, but you would be amazed at how many people I talk to who say I married someone I wasn't attracted to because I thought that was the right thing to do. I would argue that that's more prevalent for women being unattracted to their partners as opposed to men. I think so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why do you think that is? 
because men were taught that it is uh, an essential thing of manhood to lust. Mm -hmm. So that the male sex drive and the objectification of women are one and the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, you're, you're obviously going to pursue someone that you are attracted to because that is a male thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, now there are some guys who also marry someone they're not attracted to because, um, they're so scared of sexual sin that they don't want to be tempted. And so they go down that wrong road as well, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that we do need to find that, that balance between letting ourselves be sexually attracted to someone, but then also being really wise. <laughs> and is this person a good fit for me in every other way? Right. Because while attraction is important, it isn't everything. Right. And while I would argue as well, while being spiritually compatible is an incredible thing, it also isn't everything because how, how many people do you know at this point that are deconstructing their faith or mm-hmm. one or both of the partners have completely walked away from the faith and are they ever going to come back? And so for my teens and twenties, the number one thing I looked for was, is this person a Christian? Do they love Jesus? And I wasn't really even looking at the quote unquote fruits of their life. I was looking at, you know, what sermons are they listening to? How do they read the Bible? Do they read the Bible? And as long as that was there, I thought we could figure everything else out. And in fact, I dated a guy off and on for several years in my twenties who was awful. He could never stay faithful to me, never could, never wanted to fully commit to me. And he was a Christian and was this guy that I, I knew, oh man, he really, he really loves God when he's connected to his heart, when he's connected to Jesus, he's this amazing guy. And finally I realized, man, he's only that person 10% of the time, (laughs) 90% of the time, this guy is just not a great guy. And it doesn't matter that he has that, that we have that spiritual compatibility. Our beliefs about God might be the same, but our values are completely different. And I think a lot of people are just looking for this like sticker of faith. Well, Mm -hmm. as long as they have this, then as long as we both love Jesus, we can figure everything else out. Well, if you're not attracted to that person, no, you're right. Like, if you love Jesus, you're not just going to magically have an awesome sex life, especially if you are not attracted to them. And then also, like, what is it to, again, look at dating and look at connection from a more holistic place? Because faith can change. Yeah, it can. That's why we need to redefine spiritual compatibility. Yeah. Because so often we look at it as a set of doctrines. Mm. Um or a set of specific spiritual practices acted out in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And those things actually say nothing about character. Wow. Like absolutely nothing about character. Um, and we need to start paying a lot more attention to character and fruit because that's what Jesus did. Jesus did all the time over and over again. You know, what is the sign that you're following God? It's not like, what did he say? Who, whoever loves me will obey my commands. He doesn't say whoever loves me will believe all of these things. I'm not saying belief yeah. isn't important. I think belief is important. But it, it Jesus emphasized fruit and actions over and over and over again. And I think one of the problems in specifically the American church, I'm speaking as a Canadian, but so it's true here too. But mm-hmm. anyway, um, is that we have we have relegated faith to doctrine rather than to 
the way. You know, when Jesus said he is the way, he didn't just, he didn't mean like the way into heaven. He meant that following him, um, is like, it, it, it's, it's your life, <laughs> right? You follow him as you walk, as you live your life. He shows you the way to live your life. Um, and we've condensed it so much into Christianity, just being, saying this prayer, believing this one thing so you can get into heaven. And we've forgotten about how Jesus actually came to show us how to live. And I know Pete Enns talks about this in his book. So you'll get to this in the book, <laughs> in the book club, but Jesus went around. It said Jesus went around proclaiming the gospel and he sent his apostles out proclaiming the gospel. And this was before Jesus died. And so if we define the gospel merely as believing that Jesus died for your sins, what was he proclaiming before <laughs> he had died? <laughs> um, and that's where I think we're missing a lot of it. So if we're looking for spiritual compatibility, which I think is still important, I just think we need to redefine it. Yeah, that it's yeah. not necessarily about always adhering to the same doctrines, but it's about, is this person demonstrating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, mm -hmm. gentleness, and self-control? Like, is this person demonstrating the fruits of the spirit? Yeah. Do they do what James said? You know, true religion is this, um, yeah. to welcome the orphans and widows in their distress, mm. right? Like, are, is, is this someone who is actually actively helping making the world a bit, a better place or, are they merely looking at how can I make sure I'm ticking all the right boxes? Yeah. Um, and I think if you're with someone who's really trying to live out Jesus's principles, then even if you go through these faith journeys where you deconstruct certain things, you're probably going to do that together. <laughs> or if one of you does it before the other, you're going to have grace for each other because your, your life is not based on ticking boxes. It's based on living. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Now we got through about half of my questions and I'm trying <laughs> to figure out if there's one more question I can ask you, what would that be? And I, I think I'm going to ask you this one. So you obviously last time we talked about the great sex rescue and you have these other books, the good girl's guide to sex, and you also have one for men. So it says that you conducted the largest survey of Christian men and women to determine their marital and sexual satisfaction. What was the most interesting finding from that research and, and how does your book help resolve that? Oh gosh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember which ones I talked about last time because I don't want to double up, but you know, um, here's just a snapshot. Okay. When women reach orgasm, frequently reach orgasm, 90%, over 90% of both men and women say that he does enough foreplay. Mm. When women don't frequently reach orgasm, 71% of men still say they do enough foreplay, but so do 52% of women. And it's like, enough for what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like she's not reaching orgasm and, he, and men and women are still giving the guys really good marks. Mm. And what that tells me is that we women do not, we do not value our own pleasure. Mm. We think, and when something goes wrong, when we don't feel pleasure, when things aren't working for us, we assume it's because we're broken. Like we're the ones doing something wrong. Yeah. And so we often don't ask for what we need. Mm -hmm. And one of, I think one of my big, things that I want to do as I talk to women is just say, you matter. 
Like you matter just as much as he does. Mm -hmm. And you were created to flourish just as much as he does or he was. And um, that means that it's okay to speak up when things aren't working. And it's also okay to be very clear about what you want and what you don't want. Mm -hmm. You know, your sex life does not have to revolve around what he wants. Mm -hmm. So if he wants stuff from you that you're not ready or willing to give, speak up and say no. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, when you are in a relationship, um, and again, hopefully a committed one, uh, you know, it's okay to say, hey, this is what I need. Yeah. Or I need a little bit more time here. Exactly. Or, yeah. yeah. Or even, you know what, if you're not going to pay attention to my body and make this feel good for me, then I really don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Yeah. And just give us permission to value ourselves and to honor ourselves and to treat ourselves with dignity. Because I think we spend a lot of time trying to make sure the guy is happy Mm-hmm. And we just don't value how we ourselves feel. Yeah. And I don't know how, how common this is, but I know I've experienced this of just feeling shame for having to speak up or shame for not knowing. Well, I don't know what makes me orgasmic at times, or I know how to do it on my own, but it's very different when there's another person in the room, you know, Mm -hmm. or uh, when, you know, I was taught for so long that all like any sort of sexual activity outside of marriage was a sin that I would get to start feeling aroused if I was making out or grinding or doing other things with a guy. And then it would suddenly just escape me, the elusive, the elusive pleasure, because I thought, oh my gosh, all of this is a sin. And for me, it's been an interesting journey to walk through as a single person and reclaiming my sexuality, reclaiming, wow, like God really is for pleasure. How do I want to like protect that in singleness? What, how do I want to explore that in singleness and realizing, man, I've had times when guys have asked me, you know, what do you want? And it feels, it has felt embarrassing at times when I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I -hmm. don't know. And I wonder if that is a more common experience than we think for women, whether single or in marriage of like, man, it's just easier not to say anything because I feel embarrassed that I don't know. Do you hear that from women at all? Oh, most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. And we internalize it. When mm-hmm. we don't feel good, when things don't feel good, we assume it's because we're doing something wrong, mm-hmm. not that he's doing something wrong mm-hmm. or that he's just not trying or not paying attention, not prioritizing. And I think that's why in the dating relationship, we need to be able to feel like we can express what we want and have that matter outside of the bedroom as well. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to speak up in the bedroom if you can't speak up outside the bedroom just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. And so if, if when we're dating, we are spending our lives turning ourselves into a pretzel to try to become the kind of person that this guy wants, wow. <laughs> you're never going to be able to speak up. And you do not want to get into a relationship with someone where you can't express what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, and that's one of the reasons why I really think and working on, um, is this an emotionally safe relationship is, is, is so key at the beginning, yeah. because if this is an emotionally safe relationship, everything else will tend to fall into place. 
But if you can't, if you are too scared to speak up about anything, mm-hmm. like, oh, you didn't, you haven't texted me for a week and I felt lonely. Yeah. Like, why did you not text me when, you know, you said that you would, yeah. like, if we can't speak up about that, there is absolutely no way, yeah. <laughs> you know, the ones who are married, we're going to be able to say a little to the left, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. that's such a good point. Well, Sheila, any, do you have any final words of wisdom to offer for the good girl's guide to sex? <laughs> um, I, I just want women to know that they matter. Mm-hmm. I think it's really hard navigating um, singleness, navigating marriage, navigating relationships in a world where we feel like we're the, the caregivers for everybody else. Yeah. And we're selfish if we think things matter. Like when things are equal, we feel like we're being selfish. Yeah. Um, and we can't develop healthy relationships until we have that mix of, yes, I am going to serve and I am going to love and I am going to be generous. But if, if the other person is not doing that back, mm-hmm. that's actually not a healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And that's an important thing to learn is to how to get out of relationships that aren't healthy sooner and how to really value the ones where we are being served, even if it feels awkward. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Sheila, thank you so much for the convo, the work you're doing. I'm so grateful for you. And I feel like I leave each conversation with you with things to think about and things to simmer on. So thank you so much for for being here today. Well, thanks for having me again. Yeah. <laughs>